turn to the book, My God is Judge. You know what book that's called? You were right. All right. The book of Daniel. If you will make your way to the book of Daniel. I'm excited about our study in Daniel. And I know the Lord is going to speak to our hearts. What does a man carried off into Babylonian captivity as a teenager have to do with us living in the 21st century? Answer, everything. What does a remnant of born-again believers trusting in God in exile in an increasingly wicked anti-God culture, Babylon, what does that have to do with us? Again, everything. We live in an anti-God, anti-Christian culture. Paul would explain it to us in this way, and I would submit to you that this is the way that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah actually lived. Paul would say to us in Colossians 3, 1 through 2, Set your mind on things above. Paul would remind us in the same verses that we should seek those things which are above. He later will say in Romans 12, verse 2, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The truth found in these scriptures, Romans 12, 1 and 2, Colossians 3, 1 and 2, is essentially how the four Hebrew teenagers lived after they were ripped away from their families and their country and taken captive in an evil empire. One thing that immediately grabs our attention is how relevant the book of Daniel is to young people. When the book begins, Daniel is young probably 13 or 14 years old. And we should all, as parents and pastors, have a burden for our young people that grow up in our church and go off to the University of Babylon and lose their faith. We should all have a burden for that. The book of Daniel addresses this issue. Would you commit to pray that God Almighty will touch us and move us through the study of this book to know Him more and to love Him more. Would you? Let's pray. Father, this is Your Holy Word. Father, we, in our human ability, do not possess the ability to change hearts. Father, Your Word alone is worthy and able to pierce the heart of man and woman is sharper than any two-edged sword. It has the ability to change hearts and lives. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Father, we would ask you humbly as our God to speak to our hearts. God, would you give me adequate preparation time and thought processes of looking into your word and studying what the text has to say and unfolding it to your people so that you might be glorified and magnified in our midst. Father, do this. For your glory and for your namesake, as Daniel would tell us in chapter 9 of this incredible book. Lord, when you act, it is not first for the people's sake. It is for your great name's sake. Lord, would you do this? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Daniel chapter 1. 
I'm going to read the first four verses. Verses 1 through 3 kind of set the context for us. Verse 4 is a teaser for you to come back next week. All right, listen to the word of the Lord. In the year, third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Verse 2 is very critical. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Whose hand? There you go. With some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Probably Marduk, probably that God, false God, Chaldean God, God of Babylon, false God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the, and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them, Babylonian University, right? To teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Did you know that all of the prophets in the Bible point us to Jesus Christ? And I don't want you to forget that we always should preach Christ from the Old Testament. Luke chapter 24, verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets. Check that out. All the prophets. Jesus interpreted those scriptures in all the scriptures to the things concerning himself. When we look at Daniel, a prophet, the fact of the matter is I could have chosen any prophet in the Bible, whether it be a minor prophet or major prophet, and all of those would point us to Jesus Christ if you see the interpretive keys. That's why Jesus took all of those scriptures, no matter what the minor prophet was, major Isaiah, minor uh, Daniel, Jonah, no matter what the prophet, Jesus took all the prophets and pointed to himself. That's awesome. That's what we need to think about when we're reading this. So it's all very true that no matter what prophet I chose to preach, they would all point us to application to the Lord Jesus Christ. This book will bring gl the glory of Israel's Messiah and the magnificent kingdom of God that has no end and is absolutely unshakable to the forefront for all of us. My prayer is it will also strengthen the next generation. Young people need to hear about the book of Daniel. Young people need to think about how they stood for the cause of Christ. Now, I guess you figured out by this point that this is an introduction. Let me show you a, a very important interpretive key to the book of Daniel. This book will show us our calling in a dark world. The book will give us the power and strength to live and make an incredible impact for Christ. But when Daniel finished writing this book, he was confused and exhausted. You ever read through Daniel? You're probably going pretty well until you get to chapter 7. Then you put the brakes on and you're like, what in the world's going on? Listen to chapter 12, verse 8. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Very important, Daniel chapter 12, verse 8. 
8. So when he finished the book, he was confused, exalted, what shall, exhausted, what shall be the end of all this? I do not understand. Then he asked the Lord, oh my Lord, what will be the outcome? In other words, how will this all come together in the end? And the Lord replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Check that out. The words of the prophecy are sealed. And the Lord would give no more prophecy about the future to Daniel from that point on. And instead, he will say, uh, nothing will happen again until the end of time. We know from Acts 2.17 that the last days began at the time of the resurrection. The, the incarnation, life, death, burial, and resurrection, resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's when the last days began. So when you get to the book of the apocalypse, which is the book of... Right? When you get to that book, chapter 5, we have an interesting event that's transpiring in heaven. In heaven. The Lamb who had been slain, was standing beside the throne. And in the right hand of him who sat upon the throne was a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And John, the Bible says, wept. And the tense of the verb is continually wept. Because he thought there was no one worthy to open the seals and to explain the prophecies found inside. And the elders said to John, Do not weep. You see, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And when he does this, the prophecies of Revelation 6 through 22 are revealed to us. They explain both in greater detail what Daniel saw in Daniel, 12, Daniel 7 through 12 chapters. And then it will add new prophecies concerning the return of Jesus. The scroll of Daniel was unsealed by the Lamb through the writing of the New Testament. Check that out. It was unsealed by the Lamb through the writings of the New Testament. No amens? Y'all do realize that, right? What you have in the New Testament is the fulfillment in large part of what was sealed up in Daniel's day. So as we study the book of Daniel, God is revealed to us. A God who loves us. A God who is sovereign in control of all events. And I totally agree with Tim, Tremper Longman III when he says the theme of Daniel is this. God is in control. Y'all believe that? That God is in control. Our God is in control of the big things internationally. Praise God that he is. Y'all been watching the news? I mean, aren't you thankful that God is in control of the big things and international power? But not only the big international powers, but he's in control of the seemingly minute things regarding even a teenager's life. Man, that is such good news for all of us that God not only controls the international powers in the world, but he's over the insignificant things that we might think are minute regarding the ins and outs of teenage life. Very appropriate message for Daniel in his day. They needed to hear this. They were in captivity. Their world had been turned upside down. Imagine you getting ripped out of the United States and placed in the middle of Iraq. For 65 years, you're going to be there. How would you live in the comfortable state of the United States of America? How would you live if you were ripped away from your family? Would you need to know that God is in control? Yes, you would. 
Ronald Pierce highlights three themes, themes that unfurl for us out of that principle that God is in control. Number one, God is able to rescue and reward faithful servants. Right? Number two, God holds accountable people and kings who oppose him. And three, in the end, God will replace all kingdoms of this world with an eternal kingdom. In exile in Babylon, it must have appeared that the great powers of the world, the Babylonians and the Medes and the Persians, had won the day and that they were in control. But Daniel would tell us, if he were living in our day, that don't let the circumstances fool you. Don't let the evidences of decay and moral decline around you fool you. God is still in control. Daniel would say to us, I don't care what the appearances look like. It looked bad for us too. We were even there because of our sin. But the fact of the matter is, God is in control. So this message will, the God, that God is in control will bridge a gap from 6th century B.C. all the way to 21 A.D. 2000. 19, 2019 or 21st century. It will bridge that gap. That's amazing, isn't it? It will bridge that gap for us. In order to prove this, Daniel's going to use a two-pronged approach. Remember, what's the theme of Daniel? God is in control. He's going to use a two-pronged approach to teach us that. He's going to give us six sovereignty of God, providential workings of God stories in the first six chapters. And when you get through all six chapters, you're going to be saying, God is in control. But then he's going to give us four apocalyptic visions and both things. The six stories of the providence of God and the four apocalyptic visions are all given to help steal our hearts to know, S-T-E-A, to steal us together so that we know that God Almighty is in control. That's the purpose of the book of Daniel. Now... As for Daniel 1 through 6, the stories have their limitations. Y'all got a pen and paper? Y'all writing these notes down? God's providence does not always lead to success stories. I think the book of Job attests to the fact that you can lose absolutely everything. And God be in charge of you losing everything. Now the amens kind of went down there. I got a few. But that's the truth of the matter. Sometimes God... Being in control actually ends up causing his children to suffer mightily. We know this from the Word of God. So the success stories, they're awesome. I mean, who would not want to be delivered from a fiery furnace? Not even the smell of smoke be on you. Boy, that's the providence of God. That's just raw supernatural power. That God Almighty could do this. However, some of us walk away and they say, well, Daniel succeeded because he was a vegetarian. <laughs> Hello? We'll succeed too. Daniel succeeded because he opened his windows toward heaven, which was his custom, toward Jerusalem, which to them in their mind was the holy city. And he prayed, as was his custom three times a day. So if I do this, I'm going to be successful too. Folks, these stories are awesome. They're certainly not irrelevant. But you need to make sure that you understand that you don't get caught in the trap of saying, if I do certain things, that God is going to provide for me. Or I'm going to be delivered. That's just not the case. Hope you figured out again, this is an introduction. It's obvious to Daniel, it's obvious that Daniel wrote this book. Right? 
he's going to refer to himself in the third person throughout the first six chapters, meaning he calls himself Daniel. But when you get to chapter 7, at least ten times he's going to refer to himself as I in the first person, Daniel. So there are some liberal eggheads out there in the world that don't believe the Bible. And they would say to you that Daniel did not write it, although the internal witness is absolutely clear that Daniel wrote the book of Daniel. Correct? So there's another piece of information uh, about Daniel's authorship that I think is perhaps incredibly persuasive. If you turn over to Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, you need to put your eyes on this one. Matthew 24, 15, just dealing a little bit with Daniel's authorship. 24, 15, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet, who said these words? Jesus. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. I want to say to you, if Jesus believed Daniel wrote Daniel chapter 9, I'm pretty sure he believed that Daniel wrote chapters 1 through 12 as well. And if it's good enough for Jesus on authorship of Daniel, it's good enough for me, no matter what the liberal eggheads have to say. The other question we may ask is, where was it, when was it written? Well, Daniel was, Daniel was in that first wave of deportees out of Judah into Babylon in 603 B.C. He was in the first wave. He will minister from 601 to 536 B.C. 65 years. The best of the best will be placed in Babylonian captivity. That's the span of Daniel's ministry. He probably wrote down all of his experiences and all the visions over that span of 65 years. The events and visions are carefully dated in relationship to when the kings served. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? But there are liberal egghead scholars. We would believe that Daniel was probably composed and finished around 536 B.C. But there's liberals out there who say, no, that's not true. Uh, we believe it has a very late date of 160 B.C. Hmm. Do you know why they would like to readily accept that date of 160 instead of 6th century B.C.? Because they see the prophecies of Daniel, and they're so incredibly accurate that they must conclude that there's no such thing as supernatural prophetic prediction. That just doesn't happen. So Daniel must have saw the events take place, and then he wrote the book. Man, that's sweet, isn't it? The only problem with it, that's wrong. No, God is in control and our God knows the beginning from the end he knows it all so you say you see they would knock off 450 years and say that it was written 450 years later after all these events have transpired but no friend that's not what happened our God knows the future our God delivers and can deliver from the fiery furnace our God can tell you what's going to happen in the end before it ever transpires because he is our God give you a little tidbit of information. When you get to chapter 5, you're going to learn about Belshazzar. Uh, and in chapter 5, you remember the old writing on the, handwriting on the wall? Aren't you all thankful? Aren't you looking forward to that mine, mine, tike, ufarsen written on the wall? What does that actually mean? We'll get there. But here's the deal. Most liberal eggheads believed that this guy did not even exist. And Daniel just made up a fictitious character. Well, that was true up until 1860. Guess what happened in 1860? Well, they unearthed Babylonian literature. 
And guess what they find out? Some people try to say, even conservative scholars, well, uh, Belshazzar was simply just Nabonidus and used interchangeably by that name. No, that's not true. When they unearthed it, they found out that he was, in fact, the son of Nabonidus, and he actually served in the, third, in, in the very century that Daniel served in. Here's the deal, folks. The Bible's going to get it right every time. It's going to get it right every single time. It proves that Daniel was a contemporary, and he got it right. You can mock and ridicule the Bible all you want to, but time and time again, every historical discovery ends up proving the historical reality of thus saith the Lord. Now let's talk about Daniel as a book. Some of Daniel reads like Genesis. Some of Daniel reads like Ezekiel. And then part of it reads like the book of Revelation. It's comprised of two literary devices. Historical narrative, 1 through 6. And that's why we can read those six chapters and we come away with full understanding. Yep, got it. I understand all the stories. Daniel and the lion's den, not too hard. But when you get to chapter 7, you have what's called apocalyptic literature. Don't you love that word, apocalyptic? Go ahead and say it. Yeah, love it. Yeah. Apocalyptic. What does that mean? Well, some people make a huge mistake to believe that apocalyptic is actually the same as prophetic. Now, there's huge overlap, but they're not the same. Apocalyptic is not the exact th same thing as prophetic. Apocalypse is a literary device that is exceptional for the underlying feeling that there's, a, there's hopelessness and evil's going to win the day i.e. Revelation, right? It's all dark, it's, it's evil, and evil's going to win the day, and apocalyptic literature will deal with that feeling. The conclusion is that things are going to get worse before they ever get better. I want to remind you folks, that is going to happen. Before Jesus comes again, it's going to get worse. Apocalyptic literature is telling you the story, and it's right. But in the midst of things getting worse, we get glimpses of heaven and someone on the throne. That means God is in control even when it is dark and hopeless. This is also the theme of the book of the Apocalypse itself called Revelation. So the predicament is critical. Did y'all Have y'all figured out that our world and God's world are opposite? God is going to change that. He's going to come forth from heaven with all His glory and power. And our world will become His. Now, He owns it all. I get that. But I'm telling you, God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And when He visits this world, according to apocalyptic literature, there's going to be catastrophic judgment on all forms of evil. And the God of eternity, who is in control of all things, will establish completely a new order. And it will last forever. That's what God's going to do. So in general, prophecy speaks of those who have backslidden, and it begs us to repent. And boy, we need to hear that too. If you're away from God and you're living in habitual sin, the Lord God Almighty says, return to me. But apocalyptic literature speaks of the faithful and urges you to persevere. Do we have any faithful people here? God would tell you when all things look dark to persevere for Him. Prophecy announces God's judgment on sin on a local scale using natural means. I.e., if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven, heal their land, and forgive their sins. 
Sometimes our land looks like it looks because we're under the indictment from God. Y'all do know that. That God can use natural means to get our attention. Job would tell us that God uses the weather as an instrument for conservation. Thank God he gave us some last night, right? To conserve our land. He can use it for correction. And he can also use it for compassion. See, God even uses weather. So we think prophecy-wise that God will send certain things. And he's totally able to do that. And, and he's the author of it. He does that so that we would turn back to him. But apocalyptic records its message in visions and heavenly, heavenly journeyings full of mystery. Prophecy promises restoration and future blessing. Apocalyptic literature announces an unexpected divine visitation that will result in a new heaven and a new earth. Y'all getting this? I tell you this so that when you get to Daniel chapter 7, you understand that that is apocalyptic literature. You can't take apocalyptic language and force it into a literal mode. Now, is there a literal truth behind it? You better believe it. It will use images and symbols that are current in Daniel's day when he wrote the book. Now, when I tell you the words donkey and elephant, what do you think about? If you don't think about Democrat and Republican, you've lost your mind. Right? Boy, howdy, have we ever heard enough about that to make us all sick? The point is, you know that because you live in a particular time of history. Correct? If you lived in another place in this world, you probably wouldn't get it. What's a, a donkey? We use that. A donkey, we use that. Hooked to a plow to get our field ready. And an elephant is something you may want to sit on, but you might get stomped by it. Right? We use imagery. Why do we have a political cartoon? There's a purpose for it. So that the imagery hits on something that you know historically in time and space. Now Daniel's going to give his visions, and all these images are connected to his world. It is vital that you understand that the images are connected to Daniel's world by necessity. He's talking to people who are in exile. He's not talking to people living high on the hog in the United States of America. Are y'all listening? He's talking to people who are in exile, in bondage, ultimately because their sin led them there. But yet God was trying to do something in the lives of those people for His glory. So how should you respond to all the images and visions that we're going to study together in, he, in uh, Daniel 7 through 12? Well, you've got to do some thinking about His world before you jump to the USA Today and try to find similarities. Are y'all listening? If you jump straight from Revelation and Daniel to our day without understanding the relevance for his day, you're going to be the very ones that think the locusts in Revelation are helicopters. And they're not. Y'all getting this? All right. If you don't know what's going on in the book of Daniel, in his culture, why he said what he said, you won't get it. So the structure of Daniel is incredible. It's interesting to note that Daniel chapter 1 through chapter 2 verse 4 is written in Hebrew. Picking up in chapter 2 verse 4b through 728 is written in Aramaic. And then when you get to chapter 8 through chapter 12, we go back to Hebrew. Amazing. What about Daniel and the New Testament? Everything has to be connected to Christ and the Old Testament. Uh, Christ and the Old Testament, but also the New Testament. 
we, we could readily say that the New Testament is in the old concealed. And the old is in the new revealed. Right? So, what, what can we say about Daniel and the New Testament? Well, the title that Jesus gives to himself that he uses more frequently than any term concerning himself is found in this book. And the term is the Son of Man. And where does it find its beginning? It's found in Daniel. Let me show you this. Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. Chapter 7, verse 13. It's great to hear the pages turning and not scrolling on our iPad, right? It's okay to scroll on your iPad. Use what you want to. Just look at the Scripture. Daniel 7, beginning in verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold... With the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. This is good. And to him it was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Well, that sounds New Testament, doesn't it? Because... All authority has been given to Jesus. All authority. Now go and make disciples. God's got the goods to get it done. Told you way back when the first reference was given to the Son of Man that this is who this is. He's the King of glory. He is co-existent. He is co-eternal. He is co-substantial with the Father. He didn't have a beginning. He's the Son of God who always existed. And yet the Son of God would come down to this earth in all of His glory and robe Himself in human flesh and full obedience to the Father, accomplish our salvation and initiate a kingdom that will never end. That's the Son of Man. That's the Son of God. So Daniel is used throughout the New Testament, not only the Son of Man. There are 129 verbal parallels or allusions to the book of Daniel found in the New Testament. Seventy-two of them, of course, are found in the book of Revelation. Now, what's the relevance of Daniel for today? Are you ready? I'm going to give you four things to think about as we journey through Daniel, and then y'all can go home and get ready for the Chiefs game. But they don't play till 7, so I'm going to preach till 4.30. All right? Because you've got to be at the one banner at 6, so 4.30, you've got plenty of time to eat and get to one banner. All right, here we go. Number one, our God is in the heavens, and He does exactly how He pleases. This is a truth that underscores all of life. We need to remember this every single day. It doesn't matter if it's an election year or if you go to the doctor and get a bad report. And some church members that I love dearly in this church have gone to the doctor recently to get bad reports. I want you to know something. God is in control of that bad report. God is in control. It doesn't matter if things are going well. It doesn't matter if you're smacked down because of a loved one stricken with cancer and dies right before your very eyes. I want you to know God is still in control. The sovereignty of God is woven all throughout Daniel, the entire book. It is quite subtle in the opening verses. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. Who's sovereign? Did Nebuchadnezzar just come in because he wanted to and take over? Who gave the people of God into the hands of of an evil ruler and an evil empire. God did. 
God is in the heavens. No one can thwart his work. Isaiah 40. God is in control. It was the God of Israel. God was in charge. Look, he was in spite. He was in charge in spite of the people's sins. Do y'all know what they are there for? Because God said, if you, if you obey me, I'll bless you. If you disobey me in my word, I'll curse you. And lo and behold, the curse has become a reality. And Jerusalem is besieged. And people are deported. And they get the young people and they send them into Babylon. Why? Because if you can take the nationality of God out of their minds and you can corrupt them, then you can change their civilization. But yet God Almighty puts them in that situation for a purpose. It was God who did it. How about these vessels of God as trophies of war? Man, they were transported. The things of God were placed in a pagan temple. Mm. This was a way of saying from the Babylonians, our God is better than your God. And he's stronger than your God. Why? Because we took the vessels from your God. And if he was a God at all, he would have taken his vessels back. Daniel says, no way. The people of God are actually in your area because God is sovereign and they've sinned and God has judged his people. But look at this glorious note. In the process, the Lord of glory puts believers straight in the middle of a pagan society. Did y'all read that in the text and think about that? That the God of eternity would love people enough to put his best and brightest servants in the midst of exile uh, lands of anti-God culture. He puts the salt right in the middle of the wound, right? He puts the light right in the midst of the darkest place in all the world. Do you think Jesus Christ is for the nations getting saved? Do you think it made an impact on Nebuchadnezzar's life when he thought he was all this? And God says, you're going to go out in the field and you're going to live like a donkey. And after I break you, you're going to say one of the most incredible phrases in the Bible, that God alone is king. Hey, that doesn't happen unless God puts you there. Boy, there's some amazing applications for this. When members of the royal family are deported into a pagan land, God is at work with his conquest. This is called a divine invasion into enemy territory. God infiltrated a rotten society with people of God. It's God who causes kingdoms to rise and shuts them down. By the way, how dare any of us try to put makeup on the bride of Christ so that we can make it more popular for the world? How dare we take the church and do that? That's not the goal. The goal is not to market the church. The goal is to go out as the church in the market. That's where God has put you as an exile to live in such a way that you make an impact for Jesus. No amens. The perspective of Daniel is that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a God of absolute unrivaled power. He can take your very sin and he can take people, put them right in the middle of a civilization and win people for himself. God can do that. He's, He's sovereign over sins of his people. He's also sovereign in scattering his people. And Peter will remind us in 1 Peter, we are exiles and strangers and pilgrims and God moves you and places you in places so that you can make an impact for Jesus. Some of you knuckleheads are sleeping. Wake up. Look at me. 
God has you strategically in your job, not just to get a paycheck. He's got you there so that you can infiltrate where you live and where you work. And you do it all for the cause of Christ. He governs this world for His glory and the good of His people. Do you believe Romans 8, 28? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and the ones who are called according to His purpose. They're in bondage because of a covenant curse. That God has a plan to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So he just goes ahead and sticks them right there in the middle of the anti-God culture. Folks, you live in the same kind of culture today. Have you not figured this out? It's just as bad, if not worse, than Babylon. God has placed you here to make an impact for Jesus Christ. God is king. God rules the USA, not the White House. Are y'all listening? He governs Iraq and Iran. The entire planet belongs to God. I can't wait to get to chapter 2 and read to you what Nebuchadnezzar has to say. After God breaks him, he controls all things. The entire planet belongs to our God. So as we complain about the donkeys and the elephants and such things, we need to remember that his kingdom is a universal kingdom. And that kingdom is not restricted to any time or place. Our God is the king. Number two, our God has an eternal and unshakable kingdom. Did I read enough out of Daniel 7, 13 through 14 for y'all to get that? His kingdom is going to be from everlasting to everlasting. The actual real hero of Daniel is Jesus Christ. It's not, any of the, it's not Daniel. It's not Darius. It's not Belshazzar. It's not Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. No, the hero is Jesus. It's his kingdom. It's forever and ever. And those who put their trust in him will have eternal life. And you will be given a kingdom that is absolutely unshakable. You know what? They were waiting on the king to intervene into history. You are living after the king has already come. What's our excuse? They had not seen anything like what you've seen. And yet they knew that this kingdom was eternal and unshakable. Number three, God protects his people. Doesn't he? We see it in the lion's den. We see it powerfully displayed in our own lives. We can have absolute confidence that God is governing all things for His glory. Again, do you believe Romans 8.28? He causes all things to work together for good to them that love God. Not everything's going to be good in our understanding, but according to His understanding, He's working all things out for your good, and He knows what that is, and His glory. We'll see this fleshed out in the book of Daniel in amazing ways. And I am so thankful that we serve a God of supernatural ability. He can do anything, anytime, anywhere. Miraculous deliverances. Some of these are just raw sovereign power. How do you come out of a furnace with no smoke? Not even the smell of smoke on your clothes. That's awesome. Well, God would protect Daniel not only by delivering him, but check this out. God gave that boy some gifts of an awesome mind and heart for God, service to the Lord, did you know that God doesn't necessarily have to deliver you and save your life from destruction? He doesn't necessarily have to do that for you to understand how miraculously powerful He is. He puts you in a place that He puts you with a mind that you have. Look, nobody, Daniel stood head and, head and shoulders above every one of his contemporaries. Why? Because he had an excellent spirit in him. That means God was in him. And when God is in you and He's given you His wisdom... 
You can do extraordinary things through ordinary means. Don't forget that. Number four, our God is glorified by the integrity of true faith. Daniel lived in such a way that was countercultural in Babylon. He remained faithful to his God at all costs. Is there any relevance for us today in this word? To not compromise. To be faithful to God no matter what. Again, folks, you're just as much in the Babylonian culture as Daniel was. Our world is trying to squeeze you into its mold. As much as the Babylonians in chapter 1 are trying to squeeze their literature and life into Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I praise God for the day when we see some salmon that are willing to swim against the current of our day. And they're so dedicated to God that they're not going to compromise. They're so dedicated to Christ that they're not going to compromise. We need people who are strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We don't need to cave into the culture. Instead, we need to live counterculturally, and we need to point people to the truth. Again, think about this. Daniel did this for 65 years in a pagan land. Is there any good news for us in that? Yes, you can be faithful and not compromise all the days of your life and make an impact in this world no matter how bad it gets. You can. That's the Word of God to us. Daniel did this for 65 years. He did this living with the wisdom of God in the midst of a terrible Babylonian culture. Now, some of us feel great anxiety because we work in places that are godless. Well, Daniel found himself in that kind of exact place, but yet he was faithful. Y'all getting this? I'm about to land the plane. Are you getting this? No matter how bad it was, we look around and we're like, I'm just giving up. Jesus, come on back. Well, he may come back tomorrow, and you may die tomorrow. But before you do that, don't stop living before you die. you got a responsibility to live for Christ Jesus until you die. Actually, he served the people who were over him faithfully. And yet he didn't compromise and honored God. That's amazing, isn't it? He actually does what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 24. Jeremiah said, you're going to be taken into captivity. I preached to you for 40 years. It's about to take place. And Jeremiah says to them... You're going to be there 70 years. And here's what you're going to do. He tells them not to rebel, not to protest, not to write letters to the president or the editor. But I want you to build homes, plant vineyards, and labor for the peace of that city. Why? Because God's people were in that city. And God's people can make a difference when they stand for Jesus. This is exactly what Daniel did. His influence on kings and kingdoms was more than any single prophet in the entire Old Testament. And he did it for 65 years. Godless, irreverent, pagan leaders, the worst on the planet. And God used him to make an impact on their lives. I want you to know something, folks. You can't make a difference if there's not a difference. You can't make a difference in our society if there's not a difference. And Jesus makes all the difference in the world. These guys are going to maintain a solid witness in very difficult circumstances. They were used by God in profound ways, even though they were young. Young people, you don't have to be old to be used by God. And I promise you, ten years from now, if you don't submit to the God of this book and the God of Daniel, you're going to look back in ten years and wish you'd have made better choices. I can promise you that. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. It's called the law of the harvest.
it always comes true. You can be used mightily of God in your generation for the cause of truth. And when you see Jesus, you'll be glad you did. Amen? Yeah. Right. All you need is a heart for God that's willing to stand. Do you have a heart for God? Daniel is so relevant for young people. If you want to be a godly person in this generation, Daniel stands as a marvelous example who will point us to God and how to stand fast. Now, if your main concern is just to hang out, go along and get along with your friends and go with the crowd, then as I preach through Daniel, it's going to ring hollow in your mind because you're not engaged. You don't have a desire to serve God. But if you're absolutely determined to be faithful to Jesus and be a different kind of person in the midst of a godless culture, then I want you to pay attention to the book of Daniel. Y'all getting that? All right, young people. This means yes. This means no. If you're confused, go like this. We're not in Daniel 7 yet, so you're not confused. All right? This is straightforward. So, he stood fast for Jesus at BU, Babylon University. Daniel did this. For the rest of us, you're called to live as exiles and strangers in this world. And if you're saved, whether you know it or not, you're just as much of an exile as Daniel was. Great God, we thank you for your word. Oh Lord, we need you to speak to us. Father, I need Holy Spirit-led study and interpretation of the text to give to the people exactly what you've given us in your word so that you can take your word that never returns void and change us from the inside out. Father, do this. Lord, just these four principles, that you're in sovereign control. You do whatever pleases you. Lord, just these things that we're thinking of, that we're going to see throughout the book of Daniel. God, impress them upon our hearts. You do protect your people. God, you preserve your people. And Lord, you still honor true faith. Lord, help us uh, to apply these principles to life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.